You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. From the High Center Studios of Messiah College and the eye of the Twitter storm that is Grantham, PA, this is the Wave Improvement Leads Home Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion dedicated to American history, historical thinking, and the role of history in our everyday lives. Now, here's your host, author and award-winning historian, John Fia. Thank you, Drew, and welcome to episode 34 of the Way of Improvement Leads Home Podcast. 34 episodes, we're really getting up there. But I got a question for you today, Drew. Are you a Twitter historian? Uh, well, maybe I call myself Twitter Twitter historian adjacent. Uh, okay. Frankly, you're gonna have to explain <laughs> that. Yeah. Frankly, I don't have the following to claim the full mantle of Twitter historian, but I do engage with that community on Twitter every once in a while, at least when I'm not rage tweeting about St. Louis Cardinals offseason acquisitions. Do you have to have a following to be a Twitter historian? I, th- I mean, to brag about it on a podcast, I think you do. Okay, that's fair enough. Twitter, as many of you know, has become a very effective way of communicating history and history-related ideas. There are historians out there with huge Twitter followers. So this morning I did some internet surfing, and I made a short list here of the most popular Twitter historians tweeting today. So presidential historian Michael Beschloss, you might see him on TV a lot, he has 298,000 followers Cambridge University classicist Mary Beard, 174,000 followers. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the popular historian Niall Ferguson, 140,000 followers. Another popular historian, Simon Shama, has 108,000 followers. And then, to top it all off, Lehigh University graduate student Drew Durley Hermeling, checks in with a whopping 336 followers. That's not 336,000, folks. That's 336. I was going to say, was that a typo there, John? (laughs) I think you missed the K after the 336. In all seriousness, if you want to give to a good cause, you can always follow me at Hermeling. Now that I say that out loud, maybe I'll blame my small following on a tough-to-spell last name. That could be, Drew. So so sorry about that. I couldn't resist. I had to add you to the mix. You're in good company. Beschloss, Beard, yeah. Shama, Ferguson, right, right? The folks at Lehigh, you guys who are listening out there, you have a legend, a celebrity <laughs> in your midst. 336 followers. Although it might be uh, it, m- it might be much easier to gain followers if I had a, one of those three-letter last names like Fia. That's right. That's so, but, right. I mean, that being said, your Twitter game's not so sh- shabby yourself. You know, I have over 14,000 followers. But, you know, in some ways I think it's always a little unfair because I'm not one of those celebrities that, like, you know, have 14,000 followers and they're just following, like, two people. I follow a lot of people. And, and one of the reasons I follow so many people is because I love just sort of 
just sort of scrolling through my Twitter feed to find ideas for the blog. You know, a lot of people post some very interesting links and so forth. But my Twitter game actually pales in comparison to our guest today, Princeton University American historian Kevin Cruz. How many followers does he have? I'm glad you asked, Drew. Um, I checked his feed this morning, and he has over 84,000 followers. Pretty impressive. I mean, it's no 336, that's, but it's pretty impressive. Right. Yeah, yep. He, um, we're going to spend some time chatting with him today about how he uses Twitter to get his ideas across. I think it's going to be, I think you're going to find it to be a very high energy interview. You can follow Kevin at Kevin M. Cruz, and please don't confuse him with the motivational speaker, Kevin Cruz. We should ask him about that when we, uh, when we get him on the phone, you know, if he's ever had any uh, mix-ups with uh, the motivational speaker, Kevin Cruz. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google the name Kevin Cruz and you'll, you'll see what I mean. And they actually look alike too, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, let's make sure we ask him about that. And Drew, we also have a Twitter handle at the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast, right? Why don't you tell everyone what that is? That's right. It's at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast. If you like what we do, please follow us. And I think we need to work on our podcast Twitter game. So this morning, Drew, I checked our our podcast Twitter feed, and we have under 100 followers. You know, that's even worse than you. That's even worse <laughs> you know? than me. That's not um, good. You know, of course, Twitter, follow us on Twitter. Again, at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast. But that's just one way, Twitter, in which you can connect with this podcast. Drew, why don't you tell us uh, some other ways that our listeners can connect with the podcast? Well, the Way of Improvement Leads Home podcast is a proud member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. So you can head to recordedhistory.net to check out some of our fellow network podcasts. I've been especially into Dig. Now, I mean, this is how they describe themselves, so I'm not editorializing here. They're four brilliant women historians digging up history stories on highly relevant contemporary subjects all with a very accessible presentation. So if you want to check them out, and I highly recommend it, it's, a one, it's one that I've added to my Twitter feed and I enjoy whenever whenever their episodes drop, you can find out more about them at digpodcast.org. Yeah, shout out there to Dig. They're doing some really good podcasting work. Our podcast is also brought to you through the generous donations of Lisa DeGuardi, Ron Schooler, Kate Logan, Gretchen Adams. We also have a new donor to add, Judy Uland, who uh, is connected to us through our, our episode with the uh, Boston Trinity Academy. She's, she's a teacher there, and so that's a, a, a really great sign of support from someone who we've engaged with through the podcast. Welcome aboard, Judy. Glad to have you on the Way of Improvement Leads Home team. And as always, many thanks to Jennings College Consulting, discovering the right college fit for your future. If you want to become a sponsor or supporter of the show, please head over to thewayofimprovement.com and click support. And again, the best way to spread the word about the podcast is to take it to social media. So just in case you missed it, follow us at T-W-O-I-L-H podcast on Twitter, and you can follow us on Facebook as well. And consider giving us a positive review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, I want to give a shout out to all of those patrons out there who have contributed to our podcast. We can't do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. And, and we hope to be getting you some more content and things for uh, patrons only somewhere down the road. So stay tuned. We'll join Kevin Cruz shortly, but first, you have some words for us, John.
In June 2017, President Donald Trump decided to withdraw the United States from the Paris Climate Accord, a coalition of nations committed to mitigating global warming. Trump's decision was the impetus for a stimulating Twitter exchange between Joyce Chaplin, the James Duncan Phillips Chair of Early American History at Harvard, and Ted Cruz, the junior United States Senator from Texas. Chaplin opposed Trump's decision to pull the United States out of the Paris Agreements. On June 1, 2017, she tweeted, quote, The USA, created by international community in Treaty of Paris in 1783, betrays international community by withdrawing from hashtag Paris Climate Agreement today, unquote. Cruz, who was horrified by the idea that the international community created the United States, responded to Chaplin with a passion-filled tweet of his own, quote, just sad. Tenured chair at Harvard doesn't seem to know how USA was created. Not a treaty. Declaration plus Revolutionary War plus Constitution equals USA. He followed this with another tweet, quote, lefty academics at my alma mater think USA was created by international community. No, USA created by force, the blood of patriots, and we the people, unquote. Academic historians, the so-called Twitter historians, rushed to their phones and keyboards to defend Chaplin. Cruz supporters and other political conservatives also took to Twitter to wage another battle in their culture war against the so-called liberal elites. We should not make too much of the Chaplin-Cruz Twitter exchange, but the quick response to this debate from American historians shed light on the role that Twitter now plays in the practice of academic history and our public discourse on matters related to the nation's past. Every major historical organization in the country is present on Twitter. History conference goers, especially those who attend larger gatherings like the annual meetings of the American Historical Association or the Organization of American Historians, use Twitter to bring order to the seemingly endless array of panels and sessions. They use hashtags such as hashtag AHA18 or hashtag OAH17 to report on content for fellow historians who are unable to be physically present. Conference programs include suggested hashtags and notes on responsible tweeting. Other historians use Twitter to provide historical context to current events. Twitter historians rose to the occasion during the 2016 presidential campaign, offering thoughts on everything from America First and Operation Wetback to law and order and make America great again. During the presidential debates, both in the primaries and general election, historians use Twitter to correct factual errors and comment on how a candidate's reference to the past might explain their policy commitments in the present. And it was all done in real time. The history Twitter sphere is alive and well. At a time when history departments at colleges and universities around the country are struggling to enroll undergraduates in their classes and attract new majors, history on Twitter is booming. 
So why should historians consider joining Twitter? Here are four good reasons. First, networking opportunities. The traditional social hierarchies that we normally associate with the academic profession are less important on Twitter. Senior scholars who employ this platform in their professional lives realize that their tweets will be discussed, retweeted, and analyzed. There is thus an assumption that they are willing to enter the fray, to engage in intellectual tussles with all kinds of people. It is quite common to see exchanges and conversations on Twitter in which senior historians, junior faculty members, graduate students, undergraduate students, and history buffs all participate. Because Twitter fosters this kind of democratic conversation, it provides a wonderful venue for networking. Twitter is a great place to find participants for conference panels or build professional relationships that might result in deeper and richer conversations and collaborations in the future, including face-to-face meetings at conferences. Twitter is one of many ways for younger historians to advance their careers. Of course, scholars at all levels should take seriously the kind of tweets that they publish. People are watching. Academic reputations are on the line. One would be foolish to believe that history department committees are not checking Twitter as part of their searches for new colleagues. But nevertheless, it is a useful tool. Twitter's use of hashtags allows one to network in a more intimate subfield, specialty, or area of interest. As a historian who studies early America and American religion, I regularly check the following hashtags. Hashtag vast early America which is devoted to early American history, hashtag AMREV, the American Revolution, and hashtag AMREL, A-M-R-E-L, American Religious History. Since I teach future high school history teachers, I occasionally see what people are tweeting at, hashtag S-S-C-H-A-T, social studies teachers, and hashtag history teacher. And my interest in how history impacts our daily lives as American citizens leads me to hashtags like hashtag why study history, hashtag everything has a history, a favorite, by the way, of our first guest on this podcast, Jim Grossman of the American Historical Association. Then there's hashtag history calm for history communicators and hashtag public history. Second, Twitter is useful for crowdsourcing opportunities. I was recently finishing a book on religion and politics and realized that I wanted to say a bit more about what theologians, past and present, had written about the relationship between Christianity and political power. My deadline was fast approaching, and I needed a few standard books on the subject that I could read quickly, incorporate into my manuscript, and use to strengthen a few footnotes. Since my reading in this area was limited, I turned to Twitter. Within a few hours, I had a reading list of over two dozen very good books and articles on the subject. Since I had worked hard at building a large Twitter community that included many scholars with similar interests as mine, I rarely had to think twice about the quality of the material that my followers suggested. Twitter historians tend to be very generous people when it comes to crowdsourcing. Some want to genuinely help. Others want to show off their knowledge of the literature in this or that subfield. But whatever the motivation, scholars on Twitter can be an immense help when one is stuck on a research or writing project. 
Don't take advantage of them, but they can still be there to help. Those watching this kind of crowdsourcing exchange unfold on Twitter might share similar interests and thus appreciate the opportunity to strengthen their own bibliographies on the given topic. Third, platform building. Not all of us are award-winning history doyens who have publishers waiting in line for our next book. Few of us have email boxes filled with speaking invitations. Most of us don't have Ivy League degrees or built-in professional networks that we inherited from our academic advisors. Nevertheless, as historians, we take pride in our work and think that we have something useful to contribute to the historical profession or the public. Therefore, online platforms are essential. In the social media world, followers, whether they be on Twitter, Facebook, or some other site, are key to successful platform building. Twitter allows historians to express their views, share their work, and attract a community of people who find what we have to say to be useful and want to read more. In today's publishing world, trade presses and a growing number of university presses will consider a historian's online platform before offering a book contract. Most presses have limited budgets for advertising, so they expect authors and potential authors to promote their work on their social media platforms. In developing a platform, Twitter works best when combined with other forms of social media. In 2008, when my first historical monograph appeared with the University of Pennsylvania Press, someone in the press's public relations department encouraged me to create a website and a blog devoted to the book. I took this advice to heart and started The Way of Improvement Leads Home at www.thewayofimprovement.com. This is a blog that has since expanded beyond this original book to include a variety of musings on American history, politics, religion, and academic life, and of course, even a podcast. Most of the posts, if not all of the posts, on the Way of Improvement Leads Home blog are distributed via Twitter. And then finally, fourth, Twitter helps the historian engage the public. Not all academic historians will be interested in Twitter and other social media platforms. For those of us who want to reach a non-academic audience with our work, it is indispensable. I have come to view my efforts on Twitter, and I should say my blogging, as a form of public history. Historians who use Twitter as part of their professional profile often see themselves as online curators. Many general Twitter users follow historians with academic credentials because they view us as professionals, people who they can trust. Twitter offers historians opportunities to challenge our followers to think historically about the world by sharing links to reputable websites, introducing and interpreting primary sources, suggesting pertinent books, and retweeting and commenting on news articles. Sometimes historians will unleash a series of consecutive history-related tweets in response to a current event. Many of these so-called threads are shared widely and offer a glimpse, albeit a limited one, of a historical mind in action. Every historian who practices their craft on Twitter will be quick to say that a social media platform is no replacement for the kind of long-form writing that allows us to make nuanced arguments about the past. Traditional historians who have doubts about the usefulness of social media have nothing to fear. The practice of history is not going to be reduced to 280-word sound bites 
anytime in the near future. But Twitter has been a boon to historians who want to build their professional profile, connect with like-minded scholars, and bring responsible history to the internet. In this sense, it is one of many tools in the historian's toolbox. Our guest today is Kevin Cruz, professor of history at Princeton University. Cruz studies the political, social, and urban-slash-suburban history of 20th century America. Focused on conflicts over race, rights, and religion, he has particular interests in segregation and the civil rights movement, the rise of religious nationalism, and the making of modern conservatism. His first book, White Flight, Atlanta and the Making of Modern Conservatism, 2005, won prizes including the 2007 Francis B. Simpkins Award from the Southern Historical Association and the 2007 Best Book Award in Urban Politics from the American Political Science Association. His second book, One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America, 2015, examined the rise of American religious nationalism in the mid-20th century and its legacies in American political and religious life. He's currently completing Divided We Stand, America Since the 1970s, a trade textbook with co-author Julian Zelizer, under contract with W.W. Norton. We are thrilled today to have Princeton University historian Kevin Cruz on the program, uh, Twitter historian his, uh, extraordinaire here. We're going to talk about Twitter today with, uh, with Kevin. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, I just want to clarify something. We've been debating this. Uh, when you go on Twitter and uh, you type in your name, uh, there's also this guy out there named Kevin Cruz. He looks like he's some type of motivational business speaker or something. Are you aware of this guy? I am deeply aware of this guy. He's, <laughs> he's a he's a very nice man. Have you met him? And and I say that because uh, I know that I get all. Uh, uh, he's a very nice man, and I say that because I, I know I get a lot of his uh, comments and emails that are meant for him. And I'm sure he gets a lot of the crank mail meant for me <laughs> okay. and he, he doesn't complain about it. So, uh, but yeah, we, we discovered that about a couple of years ago that we both existed and we're both, you know, uh, white guys with brown hair and a mid forties. So you it, look it's alike. Kind of funny. you do look somewhat alike, you know, and that's, what's also confusing. Yeah. So you haven't been like invited to give like, uh, a, uh, a motivational talk to like the CEOs at the Marriott or anything like that. <laughs> no, but, but, but no, it hasn't happened yet, but if it does happen, I will accept because apparently he gets paid like 20K per speaking engagement. <laughs> That's right. I would be on that in a heartbeat. It would be totally disappointing, but I would do it. <laughs> so I'm glad we got this. I'm glad we got this settled. Um, you are at, uh, what is it? Uh, Kevin M. Cruz. Is that right? Kevin M. Cruz. The M stands for Michael, my middle name. Okay. And uh, but, but we still get confused. Uh, there was an event here. Uh, on campus, uh, on campus uh, about a year ago, Sean Melinz and I did a talk for Alumni Day, and the organizers uh, said, "said Okay, we've we've mocked up the the post here. Here it is, guys. What do you think of it?" They had a photo of the other Kevin Cruz. <laughs> That's so right. Even my own university yeah. can't pick the right photo. <laughs> Don't know who you are. Right, That's right. funny. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. Anyway, I just I just wanted to I just wanted to you know clarify that and make sure that we're talking to the right Kevin Cruz here. Yeah, yeah well, I appreciate at least, it. At least if you ever you ever see an inspirational quote on Twitter or the internet that comes from Kevin Cruz, it's not me. I'm yeah. not inspirational at all. That's right. That's right. Although although 84,000 followers might beg to differ. But let's let's jump right in. Let's jump right in here, Kevin. Um you know, 
first of all, do you embrace the title Twitter historian? I mean, is that something that you're willing to uh, accept as part of your identity or, you know? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was, it, it, it was the term I, I, I came very late to Twitter. It was a term that had already been invented and there were a lot of very smart, impressive people who were using it. So I, I happily, uh, I took that on. Okay. What, at what point did you, you know, what moment did you feel you, you kind of became a Twitter story? And I mean, when did you realize that Twitter might be a tool, uh, in your toolbox, say as a historian? Well, you know, I, I didn't join it until February, 2015, I think. And, and I only did so basically because, uh, the publisher for my last book, basic books, uh, had a, a social media guy who was very yeah. intent on uh, authors using this stuff to promote their own work. So I kind of came into it kicking and screaming. I, I've never had a Facebook page. I, I didn't have a cell phone until 2002. <laughs> uh, so so I'm, I'm I'm kind of a, a classic, you know, a, a historian uh, Luddite. Uh, but I, I came to this, uh, pretty late and I did so, uh, uh, solely to, you know, I was told I needed to do this to, to promote the book and it, it was good for that. Um, but I quickly learned that if you use Twitter, uh, and there are historians who do this and, and other people too, who use Twitter just as kind of their, their press releases, right. uh, it's, it's really boring and it's not yeah. engaging. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, I came in, uh, in a moment when, um, uh, politics, which is another passion of mine, was starting to get pretty interesting. And it was really over that summer, uh, as uh, 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 it was really over that summer of 2015. The summer of Trump? The summer of Trump was that? The summer of Trump. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> but it, wasn't, it wasn't just Trump. The, the, the real thing that, that right. drove me uh, into really seeing the value of Twitter uh, as not just someone who's engaged in politics, certainly the, the Trump campaign uh, and the Republican debates. Uh, uh, lit that on fire for me. But to see the value of Twitter as an historian right. uh, really came in the debates over Confederate memorials in yeah, the South. Yeah. And so that story really picked up. And I saw a lot of uh, uh, misinformed takes about um, the Civil War, about Southern heritage, about the origins of these statues, things like that. Things that I'm not, I'm not a, an expert on uh, in my own work, but I knew enough about that it felt like someone should be speaking up about that and, and others were, yeah. uh, but, but, yeah. but it was a moment that really got me kind of out of my shell. Yeah. Uh, originally my, you know, my historical work on Twitter had been in a, uh, if you look back, I'm pretty sure you'll find a lot of, uh, on this date in history yeah, kind yeah. of things, you yeah, know, you know, sure. this is the anniversary of this, or this right. happened 40 years ago and, and kind of throwing out a, an image or a picture or a, or a newspaper clipping and very kind of, kind of stayed things like, like history channel engagement. Right, right. And it was the debate over Confederate memorials that I really dug deep. And I thought I, we're going to engage on this. I'm going to talk about this yeah. and I'm going to, uh, uh, I'll bring out, you know, do you go deep into the archives, get some good documents, some, some newspaper sure. stories, really put that out there because there's a hunger for this knowledge yeah. out there. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's right here. It's, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's on my computer. I've, yeah. I can get on ProQuest historical documents and get the newspapers. I can find, I know where this stuff is. Let me get it out there. And, and there was a real audience for that, uh, that, that I found. And it, it was really gratifying. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I've, as I've sort of watched your sort of, you know, what, are, what do they call it? Drew, a Twitter game, right? As I've watched your Twitter game, I mean, you, you are, you are gathering followers really quickly. Is that fair to say? I mean, I know you're, you know, people do have an appetite for this stuff. Yeah. I, again, my, my own experience is my only experience. So I, so I don't know if it was an unusual or not, yeah, but, but it did seem, it did seem to pick up 
uh, pretty quick. And I, I think it was because, um, and again, I think this is something that has carried over from my, uh, my, my general uh, career, even, uh, you know, decades before yeah. uh, uh, Twitter, uh, is that I've always tried to um, write my work, whether it be a book, an article, an op-ed, whatever, for, you know, for, for what an op-ed writer would tell you, you know, is a, a general informed audience, right? right? right. So to not, not a, a field of experts, uh, but but uh, and not dumbing it down, yeah. but kind of hitting that sweet spot of of people who are uh, smart enough to be curious about something, but they don't have the answers at their at sure, their fingertips. Sure, and yeah. so to find a way to communicate with that audience, I think was was really key. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a fair assessment of your work too. I mean, it really does reach across the you know the sort of popular uh, academic popular divide. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about your work and how that relates to Twitter. You've talked about this already. You know, you're you're a scholar on uh, conservatism, pol- conservative politics, race, uh, suburbia. Uh, your recent book was on evangelical religion, um, mostly focused on 20th century America. Um, you know, do you think that that kind of helped you develop a Twitter presence, uh, such a massive Twitter presence? Um, you know, simply because it's it's second nature for you. This is the stuff you think about all the time. These kind of political issues. You know, as I say, like a medievalist, right, on Twitter. Although, like Mary Beard from Cambridge, you know, she's yeah. she's yeah. huge too. But so I don't know if that works. But you know, how does how does your you know your scholarly interests intersect with your with your Twitter presence? I mean, in some senses, right? Twitter. You you just said this before. You, you any historian on Twitter needs to be somewhat of a generalist. Right. You know, you mentioned right. you're not a scholar of Confederate monuments, but you probably know 10 times more than, you know, the normal person. Um, but talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about how your, you know, scholarly academic interests, you know, the kind of stuff that, you know, uh, uh, has shaped your very successful career thus far um, intersects with this kind of Twitter. You know, what right. interests you about Twitter? Yeah, right. You know, well, I, I think absolutely my own interests and my own areas of expertise are ones that I think naturally lend themselves to kind of a, a general interest audience. Right. So, again, you know, I've, I've worked on um, uh, the civil rights movement and segregationist. I've worked on yeah. uh, religious nationalism and the religious right. I've worked on modern conservatism. These are all things that people uh, today, especially today, uh, but, but in, in the modern era, are, are really interested in. So so it kind of lends itself to that. Um so I, I've got a built-in advantage. I mean, I mean, again, it, you know, your your note about Mary Beard and and others like her. Um, you don't have to be a 20th century right. Americanist to be an engaged uh, historian on Twitter. Uh, it helps, uh, and it helps in the same way that you know um, uh, students, an undergraduate audience, would probably naturally gravitate towards a 20th century U.S. history course. Yeah, because yeah. it seems safe. It seems interesting. It seems more up there to speed. That's not to say that uh, a medievalist can't pack a room. Uh, right, the really right. good ones do, right? Because they have the ability yeah. to show to both bridge that yeah. uh, that gap with their audience and to make that material come alive for yeah. them. Yeah. And so I think someone like Mary Beard and lots of others, they're, they're Africanists, they're Latin Americanists. Right. Uh, there are a lot of great um, uh, 19th and 18th century U.S. historians who are engaged on this, who, right. who specialize in, in slavery and in the Civil War, who specialize sure. in the, the Revolutionary Era. Those things are alive and well uh, for, for, our, uh, for kind of general audiences today, too. I kind of I, I made a mistake. I think Mary Beard is actually a classicist, not a medievalist, but I could be mm-hmm. wrong about that. But I think um, you're right. Yeah. Um, there are there are medievalists though. No, they're, I know. They're, they're, no, yeah. I know. Um, 
Do you ever, I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you later a question about sort of what's your institution, Princeton thinks about how you're tweeting. We'll get to that. But, but what about the academic profession? Do you ever get any, um, you know, is there, you know, we're talking about a, someone on Twitter being a generalist, right? You know, but do you ever get any pushback? Like what is, what is Cruz doing tweeting about uh, this or, or that, you know, he's no expert on that. I mean, that's certainly something that would come from just a small sector of academia. Yeah. That, who knows? They might even be jealous. Right. But, um, but do you ever get it? Have you gotten any pushback from like people, historians in the Academy who are kind of like, you shouldn't be doing this or, uh, no, nothing know. directly, nothing okay. directly. And, and I think this stems from, um, uh, partially it, it's that whenever I can, I, I throw it to the experts. Right. And so I noticed if you I, do that. Yeah. 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 It, it, if I get a question about, about colonial history, I throw it to my colleague, Wendy Warren. If I right. get a question about the revolutionary era, I bring in Joanne Freeman slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are tons of people in civil war era. And so I'll, I'll constantly throw things out to the people who I know know this stuff right. better than I do. I, I'm not there I, again. I'm there to connect people with the right answer, right. not to be the one who, who who gets credit for it somehow. That's that seems idiotic. Um, so so I think maybe that helps that people don't sure, feel sure. like I'm going out of my lane because I do all I can to bring other people in. Right. You know. Um, uh, uh, that said, I know I've got, um, a, a, maybe a slightly larger, uh, audience out there on Twitter than some of the other historians can, uh, can currently have. So I do whatever I can to, to bring them into that spotlight. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but a lot of times I may be the first one who, who's, who sees something and answers something. Sure, sure. Um, I haven't gotten a, uh, a direct comment about being on Twitter. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of, Maybe I'm I'm just a little too sensitive. There's, there seems to be a lot of kind of passive aggressive. Oh, I saw you're on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That that kind of, of. Oh, aren't you tweeting again? Or are you going to tweet this or that? You know, and that kind of. I get those comments a lot, and and it seems to be. It feels vaguely passive aggressive, um, and I don't know if that's a, 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 a as you said, a, yeah. a, a, a worry about you know kind of you know you're speaking too broadly or you're, you're being out of your lane or, or, or what it is or, or maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. What, what about this, Kevin? What about this? And you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. What about um, well, he could have written three more books if he wasn't spending so much time on Twitter. I mean, do you ever get anything like that? <laughs> I, uh, not from historians. I get it from other people. Like, okay. like, like, don't you have a day job, right? Yeah, right, um, right. And I think uh, what I'd say there is that that for me, Twitter is what actually—it's the you know—it's the—it's the break between the work, right? right and so, right. you know, uh, so today I spent six hours in the archives, right? Right. And you and tweet, every, you tweeted about that too, I believe. Yeah, I tweeted so, about that. That's right. every, yeah. every you know every half hour, hour or so, you know, whenever my back started to hurt, you know, I'd, I'd sit down in, in five minutes and right. catch up on the news. Maybe throw a tweet out. Right. Um, so uh, in a lot of ways, uh, Twitter is actually kind of, you know, it's it's the it's the coffee break, right? That, sure. that, that helps me keep on going. Uh, and I think I've, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I've got colleagues who are much more productive than I am, but I think I've put out enough at a, a pretty good clip. Uh, I've got a book coming out in the fall. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and uh, I'm starting another one now. Uh, so uh, I feel okay about that. Uh, certainly there are, uh, um, there are others who maybe have a, a slower pace and don't have uh, 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 don't have a, a, a Twitter in the way either. Yeah. So, so listen for all you haters out there who are listening, uh, <laughs> Kevin Cruz was in the archive today. He was actually <laughs> doing historical work, right? Drew, you had a question. Well, it's maybe a good shift cause you know, uh, kind of want to ask you about, about how you, how you see your, your tweeting uh, as supporting you professionally. Um, so do, do you censor yourself? Do you approach Twitter is say, well, uh, this one, this isn't really on brand for me as a, as a historian, or 
do you kind of just tweet as yourself, and if it reads as a historian or as a political commentator, who cares? You know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah, I get that entirely. And, and I used to, I used to really try to silo. I, I used to try to only engage as a straightforward, again, kind of, kind of by the book uh, historian. And uh, and God, that was boring. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I don't think anyone again. You can. It's, it was a, it was like the History Channel, or whatever you know. And, and they they do a good thing in their own way, but but it just it felt like I was putting on a, a role. And so uh, honestly, this is where I think coming kind of coming into my own as somebody who who really engaged on Twitter in I guess the summer and fall of 2015. Uh, uh, both with the um, uh, Trump and the Republican presidential primaries and all that stuff going on with the Confederate monuments as it happened at the same time, right. it became really hard for me to silo off. Yeah. Okay, here I am a political commentator. Here I am a historian. Uh, it kind of bled into each other, right? Uh, especially as the past spoke to the present. And so it was really hard for me uh, to keep that down. And then I, I quickly realized um, uh, I, I, used to, I used to self-censor myself a lot. Of, of oh you can't say that you can't you know can't be uh, you can't be jokey there you can't be sarcastic there and I quickly realized you know what I'm just going to do it I'm just yeah. going to be me and and it, it was it was much harder not to be in my own voice than it was just to kind of tweet naturally and and just you know throw it out there yeah yeah tell me a little bit I mean you've answered this somewhat in some of the answers to the other questions but you know what what is your you know maybe philosophy of tweeting is too sophisticated but you know like you mentioned you tweet during coffee breaks or you know how, how do you know how do you know like the time is right to weigh in is it just stream of consciousness um you know random you see something and and the the mind starts going and you start typing um is there a sort of time of day where, you know, do you spend a block of time sort of, I'm on Twitter now for the next hour or, yeah. you know, or, or, you know, how does that look in terms of your day, your schedule, your practice, you know, your, your everyday life as a historian? Um, and, and, you know, when do you weigh in? When do you not weigh in? Right. You know, these kinds of things. Yeah. Was, you know, someone asked me, you know, what is your Twitter strategy? And I just, yeah. I just looked at him. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I, I didn't know that was a thing that you could have yeah, yeah. a Twitter strategy, right? Because for me, it really is just I, half the time it's on my phone. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, walking to pick up my kids at the school. Right. I'm, uh, you know, waiting at the deli counter at the, at the grocery store. Right. I'm getting gas. You know, it, it's uh, coffee breaks, things like that. Watching the game, yeah. Watching, yeah, watching yeah. the game, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. You, if you look back, I'm sure during you yeah. know uh, during uh, NFL playoffs and right, uh, right. And, and basketball season, uh, it picks up because I'm kind of half watching something on TV, right, right. half tweeting at home. I find um, I find that I can't like I find I just can't watch a football game anymore. I don't know about you, Drew. Yeah, I just yeah. I have to have the laptop or the phone with me just to even if I'm not riffing on the game, I'm riffing on something else. And yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've become a, 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 an almost chronic multitasker so in that regard. You've got, you've caught the disease then too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, I, I mentioned this before. I kind of, I kind of foreshadowed this a little bit. Um, any response to this from, you know, your department chair at Princeton or your colleagues? I mean, I know you're, you're probably friends. I don't know your relationship with Julian Zelizer. I know you're writing a book together. Yeah. I'm, you know, he's out there too, although yep. not on Twitter yep. as much, you know, but he's much, very much a public intellectual. You know, I watch sure. him every Saturday with Fred Whitfield on, on CNN. Um, what, I mean, what is, what is the administration, the department? I mean, are they kind of, are they kind of fine with this? Have has anyone ever said anything to you that you can at least talk about? 
No, yeah, I've, I've never been approached. I think we've got kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy yeah. uh, with this. Uh, I've heard nothing from anyone in the administration, uh, certainly okay. not from my my department chair. Okay. Uh, my, my my colleagues in the department, many of them are on are on Twitter too, and are are, are terrific follows. Yeah. Uh, 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 will will engage with me. Uh, um, and again, some have the kind of the oh, I saw you on Twitter, and it feels like, again like I was caught. Yeah. You know, yeah. loafing or, or something right, like exactly. that. Like, well, uh, um, but, but I, I, and this is where I think, honestly, where I came into this moment really mattered for me is I came into Twitter as a full professor, right? I had, sure, sure. I had tenure, I had job security. I, I was, I was fine. Um, I, I, I worry that there are really smart, uh, untenured faculty out there or graduate students who, um, have a lot to offer in this field and don't because there's, there, there's still a stigma attached to it. What right? would your advice be to them? Would you tell them to be careful? We got uh, yeah, a, we got a grad I, student sitting in the studio with us, so he's very. Yeah, I would, I yeah. would, I, I would say be careful. I mean, you don't want to. I mean, there's a certain way in which I think it's a great thing, yeah. uh, especially in terms of connecting with scholars uh, and, and the general public too, and 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 reporters. God, I, I've I've yeah. uh, made yeah. such great connections with with different um, yeah. journalists that I admire and respect, and have been able to to talk with them about their work and be sources in their articles. Right. That's been fantastic, and that I think has been a. Uh, it wasn't that I planned, but it's been it's been a, a nice boost. You know, I've got an avenue for you know if I want to write an op-ed, I've got you know a dozen yeah. people I can reach out to immediately now, which I, I used to not have before Twitter. I used to have to kind of scratch my head of where I'm going to place this, right? right? right. You know, uh, so I think that's a good thing for for junior people to develop to be out there. At, at the same time, I, I think I, I would caution uh, junior people. I, I'm a little freer out there with my engagement. Yeah. Let's say uh, I, I I kind of I don't have a a filter on. In a way that that were I still, uh, you know, an assistant professor, uh, I would probably uh, I would probably self censor a little bit more. I would I would be worried about, um, um, you know, saying the wrong thing or offending sure. the wrong person. And 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 it's sad, but that's that that's that, that's where we are. We got a we got a grad student here, uh, Drew, who who's dying that follow up on this. Go <laughs> no, ahead, no, Drew. It's fine. I uh, it's it's interesting you bring that up just because I've been involved in some job search processes uh, on campus uh, up at up at Lehigh and and. They're developing policies about to what extent can uh, can job searches engage with the social media presence of their candidates and and um, you know advising job the job search committees not to you know don't engage with their with their Twitter that can't be a part of your of your calculus as you're trying to navigate and you know which brings up some interesting well, that's interesting I you mean know, you know I mm-hmm. mean even if they can't engage with you I mean who's not going to check it right. Right. But, I mean, we're, 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 yeah. we're discussing that, you know, because uh, I've been doing some some trainings of of doing your first job talk kind of stuff. And, and this has come up yeah. in conversation and they say, well, you know, we we struggle with that because sometimes people say, well, we shouldn't be looking. But then you might already have seen someone's, you right. know, right. public engagement. Right. So, I mean, it is it, it's a thorny issue. It's a complicated issue. You know, it's funny, Kevin, you were talking about the kind of op eds and the connections and stuff. I don't know if you've had this or not. I'm sure you have because you're out there much more than I am and in much better places than I am in terms of your public writing. But um, I, I now have like reporters like emailing me with a tweet. Like you tweeted this, can you expand yeah. on this a little bit more or just based yeah. on, just based on what now, I guess 280 characters, right. You know, um, you know, it, you know, when I first started, you know, I've been at this for, you know, 15, almost 20 years now, you know, when I first started, if a reporter called me up, it was based on like a book I wrote or an article right. or something substantial, right? right? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, no, this happens all the time now. Yeah, and, and yeah. again, I mean, it's 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 great, but it's but it's it seems surreal to kind of uh, to, to rather than be commenting on the news to have an observation that sparks an article. Right? Yeah, it, it's, yeah. So I, I did this a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, and this is this is maybe a good example of where um, uh, teaching Twitter and 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 the media kind of intersect. Right. So the uh, after the Parkland shooting, uh, there were people online who were claiming. Uh, that the Parkland students, because they were so poised, because they were so well-spoken, uh, must have been uh, crisis actors. They right. must have been paid, right? Yeah, well, uh, as that story was going out, I happened to be teaching a, a section on on the Little Rock School Desegregation case. Okay. And there was – I just noticed in the documents we had – this is a, a, a documents-intensive uh, course we do right. – uh, that in the documents we have – there was an NAACP press release denying that the Little Rock Nine were paid actors. Wow! Yeah. So I thought, I thought, oh, okay, that's that's a great connection. If this is the kind of thing that that yeah. that I think people like when when they can understand that uh, there's a certain echo of the past and the present. So I tweeted out just uh, uh, I, I screenshot a, a a newspaper article, slapped it up there, uh, tweeted it out. It took like five minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, that day, I got contacted by reporters from the New York Times, the yeah. Washington Post, yeah. Huffington Post. Uh, and I had to turn down a couple others who wanted to talk too, just because you know I've got a day job. Right. right. Um, but but that launched three articles, right? Yeah, and and yeah. and one of them, uh, uh, the the Huffington Post one, was fantastic. They were all good, but the Huffington Post one went the extra step. Yeah. Because she tracked down uh, Minnie Jean Brown, who was one of the Little Rock yeah. Nine, who's still who's still living, yep. and interviewed ab- about this. And so drew out it wasn't just my observation of hear this echo. She went back and found the historical actor and drew her out and and got. Her, her take on this thing that I'd observed, and she had a much greater insight yeah, about it. That's awesome. uh, and then that article came out uh, on a Friday, on the day when my students had their papers on Little Rock due. And who did half of them write about? Minnie Jean, Minnie Brown. Jean Brown. So yeah. it, it kind of it kind of all came you know yeah, full circle full there. Circle. And so when it works like that, it, it's kind of it's kind of a, a really special thing, I think. Yeah, and it's and it's also amazing too, right? You know, you were talking about when you tweet or whatever. You know, you don't have a philosophy. You know, you, you probably you know. You wrote that tweet, you know, sort of on the in the hallway, walk into the men's room or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And next thing you know, it's 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 in the New York Times. And, it, and, it, and again, that's that's the weird again because Twitter used to be that I would send it out, and it was like you know I I started like anyone else. I had zero followers, right? And, right, right. and originally, it was just people I knew well, and so it was kind of like you know like a private slack yeah, chat yeah. or whatever and now i'm realizing oh this stuff goes out there right, right and it, right. and it can it can really yeah. go out there yeah I, people will embed tweets i'm sure you've had this happen yeah. embed tweets in news articles right as yeah. as historian so and so said and you're like oh right that that's part of the public, public yeah. record now this yeah. this thing i i you know i you know beep boop bop that out on my phone as i'm walking to yeah. my my kids you know my son's first grade class right that's now something that's out there yeah. uh, it's yeah. it's it's kind of odd it is um, we, we don't have much time left. I have one more question for you. Um, you've been in the middle of a lot of, for lack of a better term, tweet storms, right? Where you, where you sort of create this, uh, this ongoing thread, all these threads and conversations. If I remember correctly, there's actually, I've actually, I think, read online articles at places that are about that, you know, the subject is you and your Twitter, <laughs> you know, yeah. your Twitter. Yeah. Um, but, um, give me one. What was what was your most memorable kind of uh, mm. Twitter storm that you uh, you sort of instigated, or maybe was the most helpful, or you know I know you've mentioned some yeah. already, but what's um, the classic? You know what's the classic Kevin Cruz in your mind uh, uh, sort of Twitter explosion? Oh. 
Jeez, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I've got any classics. Um, I'll leave that to, uh, maybe other people can can pick them. Um, one that springs to mind to me though that that was 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 meaningful to me and and was important in the way in which I think kind of Twitter helps me bring my expertise in as, as an historian and my engagement in politics together was when Jeff Sessions was being floated for Attorney General, mm-hmm. and a couple of conservative magazines uh, uh, published puff pieces. About that basically portrayed Jeff Sessions as a civil rights hero. Yeah, I remember that this, he had yeah. he had defeated the Klan, that he had helped desegregate all these schools, and I knew that wasn't the case. Yeah, uh, and it's not that he's uh, uh, you know necessarily a, a villain, but I knew that that portrayal was wrong. Right. So I had a thread that 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 kind of picked apart those points uh, and showed that the. Uh, the case that he'd been attributed with, uh, with 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 breaking the Klan had entirely been done by by a different set of, of U.S. attorneys right. that showed that all the schools in his uh, in his in his uh, region in, in in southern Alabama had been desegregated before his time. So right. this couldn't possibly tr- be true. So I put that out there, and I actually got this is a, the the Weekly Standard and yeah. then National Review. Yeah. Uh, they both issued re- uh, you know corrections in their articles. Yeah. Uh, so, so I was able to kind of, you know, rather than just kind of sitting at home and, and reading something about, it, and you know, we all do this. Oh, that's wrong. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, to actually engage and get them to yeah. to admit it was wrong uh, and, and to tinker with it, uh, to 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 adjust it to make it uh, more 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 fact based. Yeah. Uh, was was something that that I I took I took some pride in that. Uh, you know, yeah. he still was confirmed, but I think w- without that. Uh, without that 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 confidence in, uh, on the right that he was somehow a civil rights right. uh, hero, and I imagine that took a uh, that takes a little bit of time to sort of dig up the research and so forth. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, how do you, uh, you know, real quick, how do you balance like the kind of instant gratification, right? You want to get something out there and get it out there fast, uh, you know, because that's just the nature of Twitter, right? And then yeah. you know, you must have taken, you know. I don't know, an hour maybe to kind of dig up, make yeah. sure you were right. I mean, you yeah. know, it's like a little mini research project, right? It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it, it really, that, that one in particular, I think took about two hours. Okay. And, and yeah. I did so because I knew if you're going to say, uh, that this magazine article is wrong, right? You'd better be right. Yeah. yeah. And so I wanted to, uh, it, uh, as they say, I wanted to bring the receipts. Right. right. Uh, and, and that's yeah. something that I think, um, uh, I always try to do, and I think is really helpful on Twitter for his, for historians in particular to do, is to bring that primary evidence out, right, right? Right. And so I did screen caps of news articles. I had um, uh, links to, I think, to court documents. You right. know, whatever I could do to, to to say, no, look, you've made this broad assertion. Here are the facts, and I'm going to show you with. Exhibit yeah, A, yeah. Exhibit B, Exhibit C, Exhibit D, yeah. and I had to make sure that that was all lined up. So yeah, that did take some time. There yeah. are a lot of, uh, again, I take ninety five percent of my tweets are are, are quick and on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a thread like that really does yeah. take work, and it really does have to be approached like a research project because right, you don't want right. to then blurt something out and then feel like oh, yeah. uh, I've now got to retract that. That's you, that, uh, that would be the worst. Are you how you doing? Are you burning out yet? Are you still going strong as a tweeter? Are we still going to see you down the road here or? I'm doing all right. Uh, there's, there's, there's enough in the news yeah, yeah. to keep me going. Okay. I've had a couple moments where I really thought about about dropping out. Uh, well, sure. honestly, after the election, yeah. uh, when uh, when the, the kind of the white supremacist presence right. online yeah. surged for about a week, I right. thought I don't need this, it's and I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Um, but I really, I, I, again, I, uh, I kind of realized that there's there's still, a, um, uh, in general, there's a thirst for history yeah. out there, yeah. right? And, and and if we don't fill it. 
as professional historians, someone else will, Absolutely. right? Uh, and, and so it, it can't be, you know, I don't want the public's history knowledge to be a bunch of Bill O'Reilly books, right? right. Uh, uh, and, and, or, or, or worse, Bill O'Reilly tweets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I want to do whatever I can. Uh, and it sounds corny to feel like it's, it's, it's an obligation or duty, but, but I do think yeah. we've got this responsibility yeah. to speak to the public. Because if we don't, other people will, right? And, and so if we've got the authority and the expertise, I, I think we should be engaged. So uh, there are days where I feel like yeah. uh, I got to walk away from this, uh, but usually it passes and I and I come back to it yeah. and, I, and I find I find something that um, uh, th- that makes it worthwhile again. Well, we all appreciate the fact that you're in the thick of this, and um, if you did walk away, I think you'd get a lot of uh, reaction saying, you know, don't do it, Kevin, you know, come back. Um, We have been talking with Kevin Cruz, professor of history at Princeton, uh, Twitter historian, um, 84,000 followers on Twitter, follow him, at Kevin M. Cruz. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for your time. I know you're a very busy man. I'm sure you 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 need to get out there and tweet something. So uh, so so we'll, <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, it's been half an hour. I'm going to into withdrawal here. That's right. So uh, so we'll let you go. Hopefully, your next tweet was had a great time on the Wave of Improvement podcast. Drew's laughing over here. Uh, but again, th- th- thanks so much, Kevin. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Take All right, care. Have a great day. I tell you, Drew. After listening to Kevin Cruz, I want to go. I want to go home and 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 tweet. Yeah. Well, you know, I I have some catching up to do with my three thirty six here. It really is a it really is a phenomenal way of kind of reaching people. I mean, Cruz, you know, Cruz is uh, uh, sort of the master of this, you know, and and his ability to think on his feet and to think quickly in response to other people's twi- tweets is just amazing to me. I mean, it's interesting you brought up uh, in, in the conversation his kind of rise uh, surrounding the, the debates over Confederate monuments because, I, yeah. you know, he's a 20th century historian. I'm not with where I am right now in my academic career. The historians I'm most familiar with are those on my comps lists. Yeah. I'm not doing a comps list in, in 20th century America. But I first I mean, I first started following him because yeah. some people were retweeting uh, some of his posts and some of his thoughts on, on Confederate monuments. So, you know, it. As they say, those things go viral pretty quick. Yeah, when people ask me who they should follow on Twitter, what historians, he's always the first one. The first one that I mention, simply because he's really uh, sort of brought this into his professional profile. But he also offers some cautions, too, right? This is Mm -hmm. not for everyone. And it's, uh, you know, those early in their career also need to be careful. I mean, you jumped in on that one part of the interview, right? Thinking about this. Well, that you know, and, and... Back to your commentary, you know, that's something even even in these departments that are maybe trying to be more proactive in, in understanding that Twitter is not necessarily your professional voice. It's your personal voice. Right. It's still pretty hard to avoid. And, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure there will be more more discussions about best practices during dinner, during interview processes for people like me who are. Yeah, you know, I I've never tweeted anything I don't, I am embarrassed about, but at the same time, you know, who knows how my 280 characters will be interpreted? Because you know, with that right. small of a small of a a, a content, right. it can be it sometimes be easy to be misinterpreted. Yeah, I also thought it was interesting the way he kind of talked about how early on he kind of siloed everything, but then he just kind of you know here's my history, right? You know, you asked him that question about. 
uh, your identity, right? Are you a political mm-hmm. commentator or a historian? You know, he, he said, I tried to silo it, but it just didn't work. And, you know, I'm, I've always been one, you know, I've written a book about like what historical thinking and why study history. So I often feel a lot of pressure, right? You know, am I tweeting as a historian? Am I tweeting as a, a Christian? Am I tweeting as a, as a polit- pol- political pundit? You know, and I always, I'm always worried someone's going to call me out and say, well, in your book, you said that, you know, so, uh, so it's helpful to hear someone like him kind of, and how he navigated this as well. Well, I think one of the, the advantages with Twitter as a medium is it allows us to better engage with people as yeah. kind of full people, right? You know, yeah. I, I think yeah. about, you know, my long friendship and, and mentorship with you, you know, I, it's hard to divorce who you are as a historian from who you are as, for example, a Bruce Springsteen fan, right? That's you know, right. and, 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 and these are things that, that become yeah. through the medium yeah. of Twitter kind of unified. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I made a joke it, you know, I'm either tweeting about something political, something historical or something having to do with St. Louis baseball. I mean, those That's are kind right. of my three That's modes. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things to think about here. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I know we did. I know we enjoyed having Kevin Cruz with us. He's a very entertaining guest. So thanks for listening. And as always, may your way of improvement lead home. This has been a production of The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections at the intersection of American history, religion, politics, and academic life. Visit us at thewayofimprovement.com. The Way of Improvement Leads Home is a member of the Recorded History Podcast Network. Check out the other podcasts on the network by heading over to recordedhistory.net. If you want to support our efforts, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice so others may more easily find this podcast. And let's continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us at T-W-O-I-L-H Podcast. The podcast is brought to you through the generous support of Gretchen Adams, Kate Logan, Lisa DeGuardi, and Ron Schooler. Also, many thanks to our sponsor, Jennings College Consulting, discovering the right college fit for your future. The podcast was recorded at the High Center Studios of Messiah College. Thanks to Ed Ark for his continued support. Original music is by Overholt. Many thanks to our guest, Kevin Cruz. Our studio producer is Josh Lowry. I've been your producer, Drew Durley-Hermling. And your host, as always, is John Fia.